Oh, wow. John, thank you so much for taking me to this museum. I can't, I can't wait to see all this, these great works of art. Yeah, no problem, buddy. I think it's always good to, you know, take in the arts. Uh, let's start over at this wall. Check out some Ooh. of these paintings here. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, one, that one's my favorite. Edward Munch's The Scream. Oh, classic. Yeah, it's a good one. I, I wonder, man, what was he thinking when he painted this? Oh, I mean, I can answer that question if you want. What? Uh, okay. Yeah, that guy who's screaming, that's actually me. Munch painted me screaming. Come and on. No, I'm serious. I was posing for a picture, uh, and he was painting me, and then I realized, oh my god, I left my oven on! And so I screamed and then ran away, and uh, he finished the painting, and that's how it turned out. I okay, I'll give you that one. Okay, then then tell me, Mister Mister Art Critic Connoisseur. Well, then what about this one? Huh? Uh, the creation of Adam. Yeah, the great Michelangelo mural. Um, okay, so I could tell you about this because. Michelangelo modeled Adam after me. And uh, God was was modeled after Michelangelo. See, one day I was um, I, I was feeling really gassy. And so, you know, Michelangelo is painting me. And then I, I reach out to him and say, hey, hey, pull my finger. Uh, and he did. And there is a big bang. And um, so not only was that the inspiration for the creation of Adam, but I also invented the pull my finger joke. Uh, okay. Okay. But okay. There's, there's no way that you were involved in all these classic works of art. So what, what about this one? Smarty pants. What about the Mona Lisa? Huh? Oh yeah. Leonardo da Vinci. Good man. Good man. You what? see, I'm thousands of years old and you know, you got to mix it up. So I was, uh, was going through a long hair phase. Here, I, no, I actually have a wig. Uh, here, let me put it on. Recognize the smile. Oh, my God. It's uncanny. Yep, I'm immortal. Hi, and welcome to the Terror Test. I'm Eric. And I'm John. As fans of horror, our goal is to weigh the merits of films based on three categories, production, monster quality, and scare factor, to decide whether to admit them into our sacred horror canon. In this podcast, we'll put horror movies to the test to determine what to watch next. 
what's worth revisiting, and what to recommend to the uninitiated. Number two pencils ready, and begin. Okay, so uh, we are continuing our read-through of Dead Blondes and Bad Mothers by Sadie Doyle, and we're spending uh, a little bit more time with Chapter 4, Marriage, um, especially because we wanted to um, talk about Rebecca, which is um, a story that is cited in the book quite a bit. Um, and so we're going to talk about that and then also the movie Spring. Um, so you ready to get into it? Let's do it. All right. So uh, Rebecca, the 1940 um, version, was directed by Alfred Hitchcock, based on the novel by Daphne du Maurier, screenplay by Robert E. Sherwood and Joan Harrison, uh, with an adaptation credit by Philip McDonald and Michael Hogan, starring Laurence Olivier as Maxim de Winter, uh, Joan Fontaine as Mrs. de Winter, Judith Anderson as Mrs. Danvers, and George Sanders as Jack Favell. Let's start with production. Okay, so production, we're looking to see that the film is timeless in the power and effectiveness of its writing, direction, acting, cinematography, special effects, iconography, and portrayal of its subject matter. Okay, so um, we have talked about Hitchcock before um, when we have talked about Psycho and Frenzy, but this is a very different era of Hitchcock. Uh, mm. this, is, this is more early Hitchcock um, when he you know, was first... Uh, coming over you know to america from england and um rebecca you know was uh, a, a pretty popular gothic romance and so hitchcock uh worked with um producer brian oselznick who produced gone with the wind or david oselznick sorry who produced gone with the wind and they made this you know um very grand gothic romance um so first of all what what do you think and so i i i have not uh read the novel but i know that you have right yeah yeah um and so just going off of the film i i think you know it helps to know um I, well i think you do know right away that it is it reads very gothic right so we're most most of it takes place in in a large mansion um the the ocean is is you know prevalent backdrop um an important symbol throughout um you know lots of stormy weather um and you know i think what what strikes me overall about the story is that the driving force of the story never physically shows up, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> be and yet is is the moving force of the entire story. Like, yeah, exactly. I, it, it it actually once you finish watching the movie, you want, I, or at least I wish I could have seen a depiction of Rebecca. Like you, it's almost like a. Oh, she's like she's almost like a Gatsby. She's like 
just this. Yeah, but also like having any kind of flashback or something with Rebecca would yeah. have diminished her character because she's mm-hmm. always going to be larger than life in mm-hmm. your head than on screen. Although we do get that one painting um, mm-hmm. that Mrs. DeWinter uses as inspirational for her dress, which we then learn was something that um, that Rebecca wore. And so it's suggested that that painting might be of Rebecca, or it may have just been used as inspiration of Rebecca. So like even that's ambiguous, but mm-hmm. that shot of the painting, it does like linger there. And so it does kind of make you ask like, is that her? Mm-hmm. Is that our only shot of her? Yeah. And I think that's what I really liked about the story is that she's a ghost, but like just symbolically, right? Like it's, it's right. her memory. It's her presence. It's her stuff that sort of has a lasting impact on the other characters and compels them to act in certain ways. And I thought that was really clever and cool. But again, I think that's, that was more of like the literary move. That was the story that was making that interesting. I think Hitchcock does a great job emphasizing that. I think he, I mean, do you feel like it's true to the novel? Do you get that same vibe throughout? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, do you feel like do you feel like he a does a ghost story without a ghost in it mm-hmm. or without anything mm-hmm. supernatural? It's the memory of Rebecca that haunts Manderley. Um and it's, you know, Mrs. Danvers' inability to, you know, let Rebecca go, let her memory go, um that, you know, leads to the destruction of Manderley and it's, you know, Rebecca's corpse showing up you know halfway mm-hmm. through the movie um that causes you know the the tension in, in the whole second half um so it follows the book pretty well uh, obviously the book is going to be more detailed uh, more scenes but some of the scenes are pretty word for word um mm. the huge breaking point um which yeah we could we could talk about it here um is that in the novel, um, well, well, so in, in the in the movie, uh, we have that probably the the most inventive scene in, in the movie where Maxim is retelling the story of Rebecca's last night. And you mm-hmm. have this tracking shot of just empty space where it's like we're watching the scene take place, except Rebecca's not there. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. it's just he is like maxim is re you know retelling the dialogue retelling what she doing and we are just like filling in that empty space like i love love that shot um but she um you know accidentally falls and like hits her head and and dies in the the novel de Maurier actually has maxim kill rebecca um oh. it was it was in kind of a fit of rage um she was like taunting him and in you know the heat of the moment he took out his gun and shot her and killed her so mm. they i could see why they made the change because you know it would be very hard for 
a mainstream audience in 1940 to be rooting for a murderer. But Mm -hmm. that's what I love about the novel is, is that moral ambiguity because we're rooting for the protagonist and her husband to cover up an actual murder that took place. Um, Mm. We're rooting against, you you know, like the, the kind of antagonist, Jack, um, Mm -hmm. the, Rebecca's cousin, you know, he's a slime ball and we don't like him, but also he's right in that in his suspicion that Max killed her and he wants to see Max get punished. And like that would be justice. But at the same time, we know, you know, what Rebecca was really like um, after learning from Maxim and um, we are more sympathetic towards him. So I just love that whole moral ambiguity there um it also kind of plays with the the idea of the gothic as you know something that um the past is inflicting upon the present um Mm -hmm. rebecca the memory of rebecca is constantly getting in the way between our protagonist and maxim um and then when that you know when her body is uncovered um, the truth comes out. So Mrs. DeWinter, our unnamed protagonist, like she learns what Rebecca was really like. And through that, she's able to get closer to, to Maxim, to her husband. But at the same time, they then have to like bury the truth. And so mm. there's just a really interesting juxtaposition there with the novel. And um, actually, if if I have time, we're, we're as of now, we're on summer break. Um I, I hope to be able to um, kind of put something together that we can um, we can have on our, our website as a sort of extra credit um, that kind of goes into the novel as a work of gothic romance. Um, mm-hmm. Just to get into that more, because I, I, I don't want to ramble too much. Um, but yeah, I just think story-wise, it's, it's a really excellent example of the genre. And I mean, it's one of the few... Um, you know, quote unquote horror movies or horror adjacent movies to win best picture. It's like this in silence of the lambs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, we kind of cling to it as, as one of the examples of, um, you know, uh, a sort of horror Gothic story, um, that has reached mainstream success. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, so the fact that that Max actually kills her in the novel um, doesn't change like my admiration of it at all, but it does like change my read on it significantly. In that, like, I I really liked how in the movie it's it's like his guilt or you know because he thought he had killed her um, mm-hmm. that weighing on him you know throughout the majority of the movie. Uh, I thought that was like a nice, I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, like a, a, just another way that she, that it's sort of her memory was, was, it was impacting uh, the present. And mm-hmm. I, I, I liked that release of no, of like him finding out that he actually wasn't responsible mm-hmm. for her death. Um, I could see, I could see why, like you said, I could see why they made that change, but that, yeah, that's crazy. That's a big, that's a big change for me. Yeah, but 
like I said, it it makes sense, you know, sure. because they're trying to make a blockbuster movie. And so you kind of have to have these morally unambiguous characters. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so Maxim comes off a lot better in the movie than he does in the book. Um, but I mean, there's there's a lot that is, you know, I don't know how much we want to save this for like monster quality, but like there, there's a lot of depth here in this story about, Mm -hmm. you know, um, a new relationship, you know, kind of getting over the past, um, issues with like, you know, the fact that Maxim is so much older than our protagonist. Um, and then the whole, like, you know, being outside your social circle, like there's all this, stuff mixed into the pot of this novel which i think is what makes the novel and the movie so fascinating is Mm -hmm. that you know we could still find things that are relevant um even though this you know looks very much like a a melodrama of a different time Mm -hmm. but see i think that's where like we have on the rubric the the power and effectiveness of its writing i i think the story is what's timeless. I mean, it could be retold, um, changing the setting, um, Mm -hmm. any number of ways. Uh, and that's what I really like about it. And it's Hitchcock. So of course it's the cinematography is, is wonderful. Um, so he knows how to keep the, you know, the tension tension. moving. Mm -hmm. Like it, it works out so well that like, you know, the moment that it, like the, conflict between mrs danvers and mrs de winter like reaches its greatest height when she's (laughs) like you know after she humiliated mrs de winter by you know tricking her into making this dress that rebecca wore and then she was like trying to convince mrs de winter to jump out the window and like kill her i love that scene i love that scene it's so creepy Uh and that's the so I that's that was one of the questions I had uh, for you about the book is that um, are those scenes between um, Mrs. Danvers the sort of we'll say what the housekeeper yeah. lady servant person um, you know are those also in the book as well yeah like those key scenes in the the dialogue mm-hmm. between her and yeah. Mrs. De winters you know it's it's spread out through more scenes like um there there is the scene uh where mrs de winter or mrs danvers is um talking to mrs de winter about you know how she should just end it how maxim doesn't want to let go of rebecca um and then it's like the next day um mm-hmm the shipwreck happens and it brings up the corpse and, and so it just like takes over uh, a a longer period of time, um, which is, I mean, and we can compare this to, to psycho too, because, you know, I think we, did you read that one as well? I know Mm -hmm. I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, that's another adaptation that Hitchcock made. He knows how to like, take the most interesting elements of scenes and then just streamline them together to like keep the plot moving at a Mm -hmm. good pace because yeah, the novel just, you know, there's a lot of, it's very Gothic and it's, you know, descriptions of nature. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of 
that um, that's skipped and, you know, a lot of little character moments that are interesting. Um, there's a lot of, um, you know, insight of the protagonist because it's told in the first person. There's a lot of like um, her thought process about being humiliated, her fears um, of Mrs. Danvers and others um, and how like learning about the truth of Rebecca, you know, kind of basically finally communicating with her husband, like finally talking about the elephant in the room Mm -hmm. uh, is able to like bring them together. And that knowledge gives the protagonist power and takes away the power from Mrs. Danvers. Um, now I'll say with production in the movie, um, this is, I think, one of the the all-time great, like, roles for a supporting character, like, in the kind of servant's position. Like, Mrs. Danvers is, like, the great, like, um, shady, um, you know, mistress of the house or maid or, or what, whatever, servant. Um, she's so good as being, like, cold and distant and also cutting mm-hmm. um and passive aggressive and then also just like insane um and yeah she's she's one of my favorite parts too. devoted yeah. absolutely devoted to the memory of rebecca like it just she she's so good in this role she's able to play it off without a hit she's she's like the mvp of this movie and that's I you love know, in a movie with Laurence olivier you know, uh, <laughs> Judith Anderson is is the all star. Yeah. And do you think um, and I don't know if there's enough subtext about this in the novel. It's like, do you think Rebecca had a relationship with her? I actually Are we supposed to read that that way. Um, or or was it's she not? It's, it's she still just... subtext in the novel. Um, it actually seems a little more implied in the movie just because um you know, of what Hitchcock presents, like the way that Judith Anderson, you know, we see her rubbing her face against Rebecca's furs and like, yeah, emphasizing the see through underwear and all of that. Um, in the novel, it's very much like, um, like a, a, a very, a, a very intimate relationship, but, the like sexual nature of it doesn't come across as much. Okay. Um, but I think it's brilliant to have it in the movie. Yeah. Uh, just added ambiguity, added like mystery around this Rebecca. Just who character. this woman was. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, production, I have to give it a point for sure. Yeah. It's an excellent movie. Um, it's right up there with other great gothic films like The Innocence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you Manderly feels like a character. Like I really love those opening shots uh, of what's you know clearly a model, but it's just it really gives us a great sense of space. Um, that you know the 
the mansion takes up in the in the story. So yeah, I'm I'm absolutely giving it a point. I think it's it's just a great film. Yeah. So monster quality. Um, the film's monsters are frightening. Clearly relate to archetypal fears, and have depth. And I think that's something that that we have been touching on quite a bit already. Is is the depth of a character that doesn't really appear like yeah. physically in the story and is also even though it like we said it she's a ghost in the sense that she's memory she's guilt um she's on everybody's mind but um there's no like physical manifestation of her mm-hmm. it's not like she's haunting everyone even people she hasn't met right like yeah. mrs de winters but um she doesn't doesn't show up and i feel like that <laughs> uh is 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 depth um just on its own yeah and that's like you know a classic gothic theme you know Mm -hmm. of of how you know we have to you know reckon with trauma from the past and so yeah everything about rebecca um you know eventually comes to life we see all these different dimensions of her and so she's you know a fully realized character just like the actual characters on screen you know we see her as the you know stately hostess and the like um i don't know scandalous lover and you know the uh the the cutting wife and just all these layers to this character that we never see. It's about like reckoning with your romantic partner's past. Uh, mm-hmm. And that way it's kind of like Scott Pilgrim, uh, which is another <laughs> movie that I love. That's kind of about this subject. Like it's about getting over your emotional baggage so that you can start a new relationship with someone. Mm-hmm. Um because you 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 have to be able to move on and this is a great novel about people really struggling to move on and ultimately like they can't do that at manderley like manderley mm-hmm. has to burn in order for them to finally be free of rebecca mm-hmm. uh, and so yeah um i love that i like how um like in Prom Night 2, Hello, Mary Lou, we have characters being forced into these roles um, like Mrs. Dan, Mrs. DeWinter, you know, our protagonist. She, she is ex- just expected to, like, jump in and fill Rebecca's, <laughs> you know, space. And so <laughs> we could have a scene where she just says, like, I'm not Rebecca. Like, I'm not Mary Lou. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I think I'd be making that comparison, but very apt. She keeps coming back. She's always going to come back. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> or even uh, like a real life example. I mean, I'm, I don't follow the story too closely, but uh, Meghan Merkel, like in the royal family, how like she has very much like struggled to like be a part of that social circle. Mm-hmm. Um and just like all the, you know, the racism and, and, and like the, the nasty reporting about her and how they, you know, eventually 
decided to leave. I don't know if they're still like gone from Buckingham Palace. I, I don't know. I don't follow them too closely, but it just kind of reminded me of like a real life example of someone who's like really struggling to fit into this social circle in which or, or class, which they're not born into. Um, and so I think that is one of the monsters as well. These like established classes that, you know, mm-hmm. are nearly impossible to break through. Mm-hmm. And I think um, another thing too, that C.D. Doyle touches upon with Rebecca as a character is that even in life, she's sort of this archetypal woman to be feared. Um, had we, as we had kind of discussed in the previous chapter, almost as, as this, like she's a mythical figure, right? She's sort of that classic mm-hmm. um, fear of women in power. Um, C.D. Doyle says, Uh, Mrs. Danvers describes Rebecca as boundless and ravenous, a devouring goddess to whom lesser mortals were sacrificed. Um, She said uh, she could never truly be anyone's wife. She had to be killed lest she profane the very concept of marriage. It's like, Mm -hmm. I feel like that in addition to, you know, the, the long lasting impact that she has on the other characters is that, she was feared because she was powerful. She was didn't really uh, conform to mm-hmm. uh, many of the, the the norms and expectations of the era, and she just couldn't be contained. Like even time couldn't contain her. Um, mm-hmm. She's even she's literally diseased, right? That we find yeah. out uh, that mm-hmm. she had a cancer, and so it's like she encompasses and embodies. All yes. of these, like we discussed in uh, the the other chapter, she encompasses all the fears that that the men have of her. So that would yes. be, is that her brother? Is that the cousin? Cousin, cousin. Um, you know, I think her cousin is afraid in the same way. Max mm-hmm. um, is afraid in the same way. Not to mention, sort of. I guess you could say the prominent prominent figures in the community too. Mm-hmm. And so she, she herself is archetypal. <laughs> like yeah. she embodies these archetypal fears, which I just think is brilliant because it could have just been this sort of like heiress. Right. Mm-hmm. But then adding that layer of depth. No, she's not. There's a reason why she <laughs> has this long lasting impact. Mm-hmm. It's because she's, she's a monster. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's it's really interesting because, yeah, um, she herself is like so kind of restricted to this, you know, life where she has to put up appearances. She can't be her true self. And Mm -hmm. like that, you know, true self is like kind of what tears her and Maxim apart. And yeah, it's it's really it's really interesting um like um like doyle says you know this is somewhat you know reminiscent of de maurier's own life in that Mm -hmm. she um was kind of unhappily married um you know she um you know uh let's see uh even the happiest marriage is a nightmare of cruelty and thwarted female needs. So like De Maurier, you know, put a lot of her uh, feelings in ambivalent feelings 
into this portrayal of marriage, which I think is just so interesting. But ultimately, it's like it ultimately comes down to like communication and <laughs> truth. Like, yeah. which I don't want to be reductive because I think there is more to it than that. But ultimately, it, it is kind of about, you know, meeting your partner on their level and accepting them for who they are. Mrs. DeWinter accepts her husband as a murderer in the novel or as, mm. you know, a witness to an accident in the movie. Uh, but she finally accepts him and he accepts her. And um, once the truth is out, then they can finally move on together. Um, but that reckoning has to happen. So, mm-hmm. oh, that yeah. reminds me of that reminds me of our next film, Spring. Oh, yeah, it does, doesn't it? Um, yeah, that's exactly what happens. <laughs> so, yeah, I feel like um, I'm definitely going to give this a point for monster quality. Um, yeah. Yeah, but Scare Factor is where I think, well, let's, yeah. let's explain what Scare Factor is. Uh, the film has a clear intent to scare and must be successful in that objective from beginning to end. So I think as we had talked about before, classic Hitchcock fashion, you know, the tension is there. Um, the ebb and flow of the drama um, is definitely there as part of the story, but I think this would fall flat for a lot of modern audiences um and i think is more gothic than straight up horror um yeah you know which of course the novel is the story is like gothic and romance go, go hand in hand yes most of the time but it's kind of like um with crimson peak too mm-hmm, like there was mm-hmm. some like um you know pushback on that movie because it wasn't scary enough but like that wasn't necessarily his intent and Mm-mm. so i think it's easy to confuse gothic as horror all the time but that's not necessarily the case and so i think that's the case here i think it's definitely one for honorable mention because it's a great work of gothic romance on film um but I don't think it's quite for the canon because it doesn't have that horror element that we're really looking for. Right. I agree. I I think honorable mention for sure. I think it's a really important movie. Um, Mm -hmm. And for, for reasons you cited in the beginning about sort of, it's like um, its ability to cross over. Um, But I, I would recommend this to people to watch it just for those scenes with Mrs. Danvers, because those those creeped me out like yeah in a way yeah in a way that um i would even say more so those scenes creep me out more so than scenes in spring sure you know what i mean like if you like just take a moment and let it really (laughs) seep in what she is saying to her <laughs> you know mm-hmm. about needing to fill in the shoes of Rebecca and the the idea of rubbing somebody else's coat on your face <laughs> like I don't know that yeah. just creeped me out um so yeah, I I, great. I I think it absolutely belongs in an honorable mention 
Yeah. Okay. Well, then, let's move on to our next film, um, and that is Spring. So this is um, the movie that was released in 2014, written by Justin Benson and directed by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, starring Lou Taylor Pucci as Evan and Nadia Hilker as Louise. All right, so production. And stereotypical Italian man as stereotypical Italian man. <laughs> does he does he have a name? Uh yeah. He oh, what's does. the what's it's the like, character's name? It's um it's like Carl or something. Um right. <laughs> He's like it, Italian women. The man they're, in the hat. Yeah. They're <laughs> the best, but they're the worst. <laughs> Angelo, maybe. Um, Thomas. Sips, um, sips yeah. wine from a tiny glass. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so production. Um, you know, I think I, I will say one thing I will say about uh, uh, the production here is that the cinematography does stand out in some moments here for me. The I thought the transitions were clever. Um, maybe is that a little too on the nose? Whereas the transition with sort of the predator insects slash, I guess reptiles. Like there's there's one with the spider, one with the snake, mm-hmm. one with the scorpion. Mm-hmm. Was that a little too on the nose? I I didn't mind it. I liked it. Yeah. Um. So that that stood out to me. Um. The story's predictable. Like you kind of figure yeah. out early on what's happening. Maybe you don't think she's going to be a giant like Ursula octopus lady, but well, and that she's going to be like a siren finally, or something. Yeah, when she finally reveals what she is, it makes sense because we see these kind of contradictory versions of of monsters that she kind of turns into, and mm-hmm. we we ultimately learn that she like kind of backpedals through different evolutionary species which is interesting because you can get like the werewolf and the squid person and the you know Mm -hmm. uh scorpion and all that like that that's like all i think interesting and cool and it doesn't um it doesn't hide that fact from the audience um like we know she's a monster before evan does and mm-hmm. so I kind of like that. It's not, you know, um, pretending that we're, we're too stupid to figure it out. Um, it's like the first night they sleep together. There's a scene where she's like prowling the night and hunting a cat or something, which was very reminiscent of Let the Right One In for me, um, mm-hmm. where we see, yeah, the... Um, kind of woman in predator mode um, but yeah I think it was um, yeah yeah I think the monster stuff was interesting and it looked good my favorite was probably when she's like a squid lady um, mm-hmm. and the story itself yeah um, I kind of hated the ending um, yeah and I think when we get into monster quality, we can talk about it. And I, and I think it's the same reason why Sadie Doyle would hate the ending. Um, 
but everything leading up to it, it I think it it's it's an enjoy, it's an enjoyable movie. I think I think there's like some authenticity to um, kind of an experience as a European tourist, um, mm-hmm. like that stuff felt uh, kind of authentic. Um, I've I've <laughs> been to Italy, so you know I can. It brought me back a little bit. Um, yeah, so I, I enjoyed that stuff. Yeah, and I think I mean I I cared about Evan in in his experience, you know, like um I could see where maybe in in other films or stories that part could have fallen flat. We could have just rushed to him being in Italy. He could have been like a student studying abroad or whatever, but there I think there's sufficient backstory and I think we're I, at least I I like developed like you know, uh, care towards what was going to happen to him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think in the shoes of in the if a lesser actor was in this role, you know, the character wouldn't be as likable um, mm-hmm. because, you know, he gets in a fight which causes him to like leave. And so um, there's this kind of whole like, you know, is he a tough guy? Is he really sensitive? Like mm-hmm. um, he kind of plays all of those roles well. Um, and I think Nadia Hilker as Louise is pretty good too. She is a little bit like a manic pixie dream girl or, you know, Italian girl. Uh, maybe well, yeah, she's like dream in Italian her, girl. She, she first shows up like in a red dress. <laughs> like... Yeah, but I think there is, I, and this is with the writing too, but I think there's like an intelligence with her. She's not just like, um, you know, a pretty girl. She, you know, you, you can kind of believe she's a, that she's there, like, you know, testing the genetics of this local village. And she, you know, right. has insight into art and science. And, you know, she is compelling as a character when we have scenes with just her. Yeah, I think that, and I think there's more to, like we saw in a previous chapter about the seductress and seduction. Um, uh-huh. Again, she, it could have just fallen flat with her just being good looking. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like you said, yeah. there, 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 there's some depth there, I think to her as a character. Yeah. Um, so I think um, production, I would give it a point. Like I, this thing, I didn't, I didn't hate it. Um, yeah, it's not going to like blow your mind. Um, but I think it is as the kind of movie that it is. I think it's, it's well done. Mm-hmm. Um, it could have fallen into a lot of traps to make it dumb or forgettable, but it mm-hmm. avoids those traps successfully. Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, so what about monster quality? I, I agree with you that um, I think that the monster in the so so um, the female as as the monster in this is solid all the way up until the end. Yeah. It's sort of like it just shoots itself in the foot. I think with the ending. Right, and I think the problem is that it doesn't 
have any anything critical to say about mm-hmm. um, her decision to basically stop being a monster. Um, whereas Doyle describes it as there's more than one way to kill your wife beyond the spectacular violence of shootings and stranglings and wives thrown in rivers. There is the daily grinding violence of subservience and loss of self, which like those more visible attacks is a built in part of the system. That's exactly what happens to Louise here. She gives up the parts of herself that make her monstrous. So she could be like everyone else. And, Mm -hmm. um, it's all for, it's all for a boy that she met like a week ago. Um, (laughs) and she's literally, yeah, she's literally like suppressing that part of her with an injection. Yeah. And so to conform, (laughs) right. And so, you know, not to say that her, you know, as a monster, I mean, she has victims. We see her killing people, um, Mm. like the obnoxious American for one. Um, but so, so she is a a predator. Um, but at the same time, she has thousands of years of life experience and, you know, is a muse for all these artists and all of that is going away now. Um, she, she doesn't get to be that person anymore and that's that's such a bummer um yeah i I, I agree (laughs) i don't see why she has to give that up to be with evan like i don't see why she can't just you know go through her you know ritual where she like absorbs her fetus or you know whatever and then um like is just with Evan, if Evan really liked her or loved her, I think he would have to embrace her or find another, you know, Italian woman to fall in love with. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, I mean, I think Evan is willing to do that. I think he, I think he says that like he's going to stick it out regardless, but then to come around at the end and being like, well, okay, she she does and will just give it up. That like true love is the answer. This sort of like fairy tale ending. It just didn't. Mm-hmm. It just seemed out of place with the rest of the movie, at least with the direction it was going. Yeah. So, um, so I think monster quality. There's a lot of things I like about her as a monster, but like you said, I don't know if the depth is there. Like. There are other maybe things that were implied but not fully explored with Mm -hmm. her as a monster, especially if she's a being that has existed for a millennium. Like, yeah, I just I think there's more to explore there. I think there, and I didn't think about this until after we talked about Rebecca. I think there are those gothic elements, like of um, the sea, the remoteness, the remoteness, the the impact that sort of her story has had over time and on the present, um, I think is a nice connection. But again, that's really just me reaching (laughs) based on our previous conversation. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's anything that was intentional. So, um, 
I kind of don't want to give it a point for monster quality as much as I. I like the monster we have, but I just don't like how she gives up her monstrosity. Um, yeah. So, yeah, if if you're not going to give it a point, then I'd feel comfortable giving it a point so that it kind of evens out to a half point. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with that. Um, because I think there is some depth there and I think some of her forms are kind of frightening in nature. Like I said, Mm -hmm. that's when he walks in on her as a squid lady, like that was so weird and creepy and her tentacles were great. It was very much like the lure and Mm -hmm. I loved it. Um, in fact, so much so that like, that's what I remember from, like my first viewing of the movie a few years ago, I was like, oh yeah, she's like a squid lady or something. But no, it's there's a lot more mm-hmm. to it than that. She takes different forms, but that was like far mm-hmm. and away the most memorable for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it, it it's interesting. There's depth there. Um, but I think we're going to come into the same kind of roadblock when we get to scare factor. Yeah, the scare factor, same thing. I don't think, I don't think the intent is to scare, because uh, even, even in like, I'm thinking back to some of the the kill scenes. They happen really quickly. Um. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. Good. The, the scare, the scare element of this movie is kind of forgettable for me. I think more of uh, the romance more than anything. Yeah, I think it's a movie that chooses to focus more on the relationship um, than, like, the horror Mm -hmm. element. So it is, you know, kind of horror adjacent. Um, It's not... It's not scary from beginning to end. Um, I think mm-hmm. there are scenes, um, apart from being the creepy squid person on the floor, you, you have like the scene where she, you know, attacks the American man, um, or she like hides out in the cave and try to tries to do this weird ritual, um, and then it's like starving herself, you know. So like I think there are like horror elements but um it's not enough to like really stick the landing as far as i'm concerned for scare factor yeah and it's not i i like this movie um i think it's good like it'd be a good date movie (laughs) like (laughs) like going you know have some popcorn with it but it's definitely i don't think it's for our purposes i don't think it kind of holds up yeah so um i don't know how do you feel about um i don't know is it honorable mention is it non-canonical it has three three points um usually we have honorable mention at four or five so i think it kind of falls just below for me same same Uh, i think it's just non-canonical like I said, it's definitely not a diaper. I don't think it's a bad movie. Um, I think it just doesn't quite fit. Yeah, I, I agree. Okay. 
We got well, bigger. We got bigger squid to fry. Mm, calamari. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, that wraps up this episode. Let's talk about um, what we're doing next time. So we're going to be continuing with the book um, onto part three, Mothers. And chapter five is titled Birth. Birth. And so uh, we have a few movies that we're going to do for this. Um, and... We'll reveal them now. Uh, we're going to start with Swallow, mm-hmm. uh, which is the kind of a, a newer movie that was released after the book. So it'll be fun to kind of apply what she says to uh, something that takes place after. But we'll also be uh, talking about a couple movies that are mentioned in this chapter, Dead Ringers. Um, David Cronenberg's movie about twin gynecologists and Prevenge by Alice Lowe. Um, yeah. so lots of lots of body horror. We've got Cronenberg and Swallow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely body horror coming up next next time. Great. So yep. So you can check out more episodes at uh, our website, theterrortest.com, or follow us on Twitter at the underscore terror underscore test. Pencils down. The terror test is over.